Hey there, friends of Holy Shenanigans Podcast. I'm thrilled to share that I'll be recording live from the Wild Goose Festival this July 11 through 14. Wild Goose Festival is a transformational community grounded in faith-inspired social justice. It's a one-of-a-kind gathering that brings together activists, artists, and seekers from all walks of life to explore justice and art, spirituality, and community. The festival will take place at Van Hoy Farms in Union Grove, North Carolina, and I'd love for you to join me there. From engaging workshops to inspired panels and interactive experiences, Wild Goose has something for everyone. So mark your calendars and let's be part of this incredible community that is committed to making a positive impact in the world. For more information, visit www. WildGooseFestival.org. As one of my followers, use a discount code A-TLE24. That's A-TLE24. And you'll get $50 off the price of an adult weekend ticket. We will see you there at the Wild Goose Festival to connect, to build community, and to work for social justice. Welcome to Holy Shenanigans. I'm your muse, Tara Lamont Eastman, a poet, a pastor, and a podcaster. In the HSP neighborhood, we encourage the spiritual practice of looking and listening for the sacred in everyday life. This is what we call Holy Shenanigans. The season of Christmas is finally here, but our journey to seek Christ is just beginning. For the Christ child, Christmas tide brought gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh given by the star following Magi. We, like the Magi, follow a star that carries us into a new year yet unseen. What gifts will this Christmas tide bring? When I first heard the story of the Magi coming to give gifts to the Christ child, I was but a child. And I was fascinated. Who were these magi, some said kings, from a far off land in the east? How could a star in the sky compel them to travel so far, to seek an audience with King Herod, asking for his help to find him? But then after finding the child and giving their gifts, they chose to go home, back to their own country by a different road, another road, and not report back to Herod the location of the child after being warned in a dream. The Magi appealed to my childlike appreciation to all things mysterious. And as an adult, they appealed to my desire for justice, for protection of the vulnerable, and for an openness to the ongoing holy shenanigans of God a God who calls us to pay attention to dreams and stars in the sky. To consider how God is at work in the world around us and how God asks us to join them in this work with them. Do you ever wonder about the heroic efforts of justice and mercy that the Magi displayed? 
Do you ever wish you knew more about their story? Perhaps we need to consider how God used a star and a dream to call the Magi in efforts to bless and then assure the safety of the Christ child. What can we learn from these three kings or Magi this Christmas tide? The season of Christmas holds a special day in honor of the Magi that in the Christian tradition is called Epiphany or Three Kings Day. It was to my great delight when I began to learn about the mainline church calendar that the season of Christmas was only just getting started on Christmas Day. As a person whose birthday falls on January 6th, the official day of Epiphany, follows all the parties of the fa-la-la season, it lands in a time where many have already taken down the Christmas tree and are a week or so into New Year's resolutions that have no place and no space for birthday cake. But on the church calendar, the season of Christmas goes until December 12th for Candlemas. The party for the Christmas season is just getting started on Three Kings Day. Whew, what a relief. It turns out that the Magi also gave me a gift a gift of an extended Christmas and a birthday inspired and enlightened by the account of the Magi following a star inspired by a dream to give gifts to the Christ child. Are there any other gifts that the Magi bring? This is where I ask my new friend by way of Instagram, Reverend Lindsay Turner, a bit more about these mysterious Magi to help us unwrap some unexpected gifts, to help us savor this extended and blessed season of Christmastide. Reverend Lindsay, thank you so much for being here with us in the Holy Shenanigans podcast neighborhood. Oh, it's my pleasure. So I'm going to start out with a few questions about you, and then we'll see where our conversation leads. The first question I have for you, Lindsay, is what do you love about being you? I'm warm and curious, and I love those things about being me. That's wonderful because part of the reason I wanted to speak with you is my curiosity about the work that you do. I think in conversations, if we could interject some curiosity with folks that may have different perspectives than we do, that we would be a lot better off in the world and we would have a lot better relationships with one another as human beings. Mm, I agree. And so that's how we are here today. And so my second question of you is, what do you love to do in the world? I love to be creative with my friends. I think the most fun I've ever had when I was in seminary, a bunch of us got together and we wrote and performed a Broadway review of the book of Genesis. And then we did a Broadway review the following year of the book of Exodus. And it was so 
fun because, again, we were getting curious about these biblical texts, but putting a different framework or lens or hermeneutic, right, Mm -hmm. over the top of them to sort of see what new information would come about. So it's just this very creative, fun endeavor. And that's how I really like to learn by digging into some material and embodying it and exploring it, preferably alongside some other folks and coming away with new perspectives and broadened horizons. I was wondering if you have a story about love or love coming to you in a way that you didn't expect. The first that comes to mind is a story about my marriage ending, or rather my marriage totally changing. I married a man named AJ many years ago. And over the course of being married, we realized that we were family and we were extremely close, but that the romantic quality of that relationship had kind of transformed into something else. And we decided that that was okay, that our love could just change form. And it didn't mean that we couldn't be in each other's lives anymore. And we actually went in together with a friend on a small orchard. And we live in separate dwellings. I have a new partner. AJ is newly partnered too. But we're still part of each other's daily lives. Still best friends, still look out for each other, still help each other. And really feeling that even though we no longer desire to be married in the sort of, you know, formal, traditional sense that we can still honor the vows that we made to each other to love each other forever. And I didn't even know that that was possible Mm. for that to happen. And so that's the first story of love unexpected that comes Mm. to mind for me. And I share it because when I do tell that story, I think it gives people hope, right? That relationships can transform, the container can change shape, but what it holds is the same thing. And and that's love. Mm, Yeah. Thank you so much for your vulnerability and sharing that tender story. Yeah, my pleasure. And so if you had a blessing or an invocation of love to help folks make this transition into a new year, into 2023, what might you invite people into in this new year? Hmm. I want to invite people into welcoming their breakthrough. Hmm. I think 2023 is going to be a year of breakthroughs and to be open to that, to that inbreaking of love in unexpected way. Hmm. And with that, we come to the story of the Magi or the Three Kings. To give you a little bit of a background, I did not grow up in a tradition where these liturgical holidays were something I was aware of. I did not come into understanding things like Epiphany until I was an adult. And I had the privilege of working with Hispanic folks and witnessing their pageant on Three Kings Day, which was way more elaborate and way more beautiful. And the kings or the magi were in these opulent costumes and regality that just was like, wow, this is a celebration. And it extended that season for me in a way that I had never experienced before and was really grateful to have that opportunity. I agree with you that this is just like a a magical holiday. I mean, it really is 
there's magic here in this story. And when I approach this story as a pastor and also a consulting astrologer, it's important to sort of name the context, like what's going on culturally in the Mediterranean basin at the time of Jesus' birth, right? Mm-hmm. Around the, the relationship to the stars and the cosmos, it's extremely important. And the prevailing culture at the time, right, is actually very, very focused on the rhythms of the sun and the moon and the stars and the sky, the planets, which really just means wandering stars because they're changing position over time in the night sky, right? And so there are folks whose entire work it is to stay up all night long, <laughs> and watch these stars moving and to mathematically track what they're doing in the sky and to pay attention to what's going on. And they're also building on a centuries or maybe even millennia long tradition of noting what correlates to these patterns in the movement of the figures in the sky to mundane or earthly matters. So we're really getting into this idea that politics are very much shaped by what these folks are observing in the sky. And in this time, it was very common for royal courts to have astrologers on staff because to be an astrologer actually took a ton of resources because they didn't have these sorts of programs that we have now where we can just pull up maps of the sky, right? That astronomers and astrologers alike use. And at the time, it was considered one profession, astronomy and astrology. They were unified. Mm. So the people who understood the mathematics of what was going on also understood the symbology of what was going on. And so royals would have astronomers or astrologers on their courts to advise them in matters of politics, when to go to war, when not to go to war, when to make diplomatic efforts, when not to make diplomatic efforts. They would also predict when new threats to the kingdom's power would rise. Mm. And so this is this background for this story, right, where there are these magi They're mathematicians, they're astronomers, they're astrologers, they're observing what's happening in the sky. And they know, based on the symbology, what the particular event, and we aren't sure what they're observing in this story, what the event in the sky is signifying, that there is a new king coming. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for that context, because I think, you know, the understanding of the role and the culture of the Magi, there's not a whole lot of conversation around that. It's just this mysterious, flat character Mm -hmm. in a program. But like I said, as I witnessed this elaborate celebration, all of a sudden they weren't flat characters for me anymore. It's a great opportunity for folks to to think about those cultural differences and how the work of love or creator is continually working through people. And there's mm, that opportunity, beautiful. you know? And so that's part of my fascination with the Magi is that they were doing a really hard thing. They were going to Herod, and even though there were more than one Herods in Scripture, That whole line was marked with 
their violence and their thirst for power. And mm -hmm. so they were really going to great ends to face this power that was not compassionate or merciful or guided by love to mm -hmm. seek this different king, this king that was not like Herod at all. Yeah, it's so interesting. And, and I think, yeah, considering this context does make them more three-dimensional because the way that I read the story, they come from the East, right? Like Persia, right? And they're coming to what in a, astrological terms we call rectify a nativity. Mm. And these words mean something both in our faith context and in an astrological context. In order to pull a natal chart, you need not only the birth day, but you need the birth place and the birth time. You have to have those three things in order to pull an accurate natal chart or to do the math to see exactly where the stars and planets were at the moment of birth. These astrologers are coming from a neighboring kingdom to find out exactly when and where this child is born under this particular alignment and to rectify mm -hmm. the chart. And I love this word rectify too, because that's also a faith word, right? Yeah. Like rectification or making, making things right. Yes. And so this is a story about rectification, mm -hmm. which gives me the chills. Yes. So they bring all these riches with them, right? Which is another indicator that these are people who in all likelihood serve on a court, right? Where else are they getting all of this yeah. extremely valuable frankincense and myrrh. These are resins that are very, very precious and gold, right? To give as an offering in all likelihood, yes, to pay homage, but I feel like that's sort of coded. It's coded language because it's used twice in this Matthew passage where Herod then says, oh, I want to pay homage, right? And right. we all know that doesn't mean mm -mm. what the word genuinely means, no. right? So they're paying homage, but I think they're also spying, they're scoping out, right? <laughs> Is this person a threat? So then they can go get the birth information and by looking at the birth chart, draw some informed conclusions about who this Jesus character is to their kingdom. They're passing through and they're discovered by the local royalty <laughs> and saying like, hey, hold up. When you figure out the nativity, come back and report to us, mm -hmm. right? You could see how this could introduce some political tension yeah. or conflict. Jesus's birth time, his nativity is valuable political information in that context. They confirm the birth time, right? They find the baby. In all likelihood, we're saying about where in the horizon was this terrific cosmic event when this baby was born. Mm. So I'm imagining the scene, right, where Mary or Joseph or someone nearby is like, well, yeah, we'll take this gold set and we'll tell you, <laughs> right? It was about right there, like over that hill. And then they can draw an accurate birth chart. And maybe they had a sense when they got that information, this person is not a threat. This person is good and holy and comes to bring God's love into the world. And maybe as a political threat to Herod, right? Or the Herods. And so they have a dream. Maybe we shouldn't go back and give the information. They decide where their loyalties lay. Mm. And I think that's so beautiful. And they go home by another way. So they can avoid betraying this infant. Yeah. 
I think that's so cool. It is, it is so cool. <laughs> they may have come to, you know, do this fact-finding mission initially, but then they end up becoming these protectors of love and vulnerability in such mm-hmm. a beautiful way mm-hmm. that I find it inspiring. And that's where I go back to Howard Thurman's work of Christmas, right? Mm. And how do we live into or follow in the steps of the Magi in this new year to be courageous, to work for justice, to work for mercy. And as you said, you know, to bring things in this new year to breakthroughs, you know, breakthroughs Mm -hmm. through places where there has been all of the isms. (laughs) Mm -hmm. How do we learn from the Magi and, and learn from this story of the nativity of Christ to have those breakthroughs in this new year, prayerfully, Mm -hmm. reflectfully, you know, all of those things in community, but it's an opportunity, I think, in this Mm -hmm. new year. Mm -hmm. It is. It's such an opportunity. Yes. I mean, how many times does Jesus's personhood inspire people to reflect on their loyalties and you know, what they want to devote themselves to, I think is really special. And it's basically the first case where that happens. And Jesus doesn't even say a word, right? He's a newborn. (laughs) Right. And even if we take the word epiphany, the way that we may understand it more from Webster's, you know, this awakening, this new idea, right? Perhaps we can embrace those questions of love. How can we live into Mm -hmm. that love and justice and mercy? in some real, mm. like, real tangible ways in this new year yeah. and the nitty gritty of life. Yeah. 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 And an epiphany is a breakthrough. This is another one of those words that kind of bridges the astrological context and this faith context, right? This faith story that an epiphany is an appearance of something. So when we're talking about astrology, right? The epiphany is something coming up over the horizon that you couldn't see. In antiquity, this idea that there are things subterranean that you can't see, Mm -hmm. and then they come up over the horizon, and then suddenly you can see them. And this inbreaking of Christ, right? And this is sort of our preparatory season of of Advent, right? We're waiting for the inbreaking. We're preparing for the inbreaking. But the epiphany itself is the inbreaking. It's that moment. It's a very special word to remain open in oneself to things that are subterranean, right? That can't be seen or yet experienced, but are still there inside the body, inside the soul that are germinating and waiting to take form in the material world. Mm -hmm. That opportunity to think about what can be unearthed in the new year is helpful to me. And I hope Mm. that that idea of unearthing and asking for those epiphanies to lead us into loyalty and love is a really important call in this new year. I know I feel Mm. that for myself personally. Mm. And I hope that in our conversation, you know, even if folks haven't had the opportunity to learn about astrology in the past, that they can glean from this conversation that this is context of that culture that is found in scripture and we can learn from. 
you know, in the book of Job, we hear that God is maker of the bear and Orion and the Pleiades, right? As people of faith, it's okay for us to find connection in the natural world Mm. that God created. And I think that becoming more in tune with those natural rhythms, right? The lunar cycle, the sun rising and setting each day, the quality of the sun in different parts of the sky, right? 10 a.m. versus 3 a.m. versus 6 p.m. It's profound to be connected. And our biblical characters and Jesus himself were connected to the cosmos in a really, really deeply rooted way. So much so that Jesus says, there will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars. This is like red letter Jesus. Yep. (laughs) He says this. And just as signs from God appear to us in, you know, a deer jumping in front of your car, right? (laughs) Or a bird coming and landing right next to you when you're sitting outside, that I really believe that God and the Holy Spirit speak to us through signs in the cosmos too. That's something to really meditate on during Epiphany season. What was communicated to people by God through cosmological event? I believe that's still happening. A practice in my own life as a result of the pandemic is spending a lot more time outdoors, whether Mm. it's going out for a hike or a run or whatever, going for a time and just going and sitting and looking at a body of water and being way more connected to the quality of light or as I like to think about like golden hour, you know, there's a certain quality of light in golden Mm -hmm. hour that is like a warm hug, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. And I love Mm -hmm. that in this time I can be like, oh yeah, that's golden hour light. That's like a warm hug. Mm -hmm. Even in something so simple as that, it's a profound experience of feeling connected to something larger than myself and also being connected Mm -hmm. to others. Mm -hmm. It's one of those holy shenanigans that I'm so grateful for. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. That's so good. Yes. Going outside, learning the constellations, learning the planets, the planetary movement. I mean, it's all sacred. And Mm -hmm. there are messages that come through observing. I mean, that's how astrology came to be, was just through people's observation and intuition, right? And curiosity, connecting the dots. And I think that those are all markers of faith. Yes, they are. Thank you so much, Reverend Lindsay, for visiting with us, for giving us the context and the history of the Magi and helping us to understand and appreciate some new things. You're so welcome. My pleasure. I love talking about this. (laughs) (laughs) I love learning about this. And I hope that this year for you as well will be one of breakthroughs and all of what is needed for your wellness and wholeness. Thank you so much. Likewise to you, Tara. Thank you so much for having me. To learn more about Reverend Lindsay Turner's work in the intersection of congregational ministry, spiritual care, art, worship, and astrology. Visit them at Instagram 
at badpastor or email them at lindsay at badpastor.me. This week's poem is a litany written to kick off the long season of Christmas that has just begun. This litany by Fran Pratt is titled Litany for Holy Refugees and is inspired by the account in Matthew 2, just following the visit of the Magi, in which the Holy Family, alerted to the danger by way of the Magi, flee the murderous despotism of Herod, leaving secretly on a night journey towards Egypt. God, as the Holy Family fled their home country to find refuge in a new place, in the secrecy of night, for their safety, for their lives, to escape the rule of despots and the hands of murderers. So we know there are many people, families, who walk that same path, away from death and destruction, toward a new home and safety. Our example, the one who showed us salvation, was a refugee, along with his parents. In their courage, we find courage. In their hope, we find hope. In their faith, we find faith. In their commitment to life, we find inspiration. In their divine support, we find support of our own. In the story of Christ's holy family, we see our own stories reflected, and we find new compassion in our hearts toward those who must flee oppression, and we look forward to the day when all oppression shall cease. I am your holy shenanigans muse, Tara Lamont Eastman. Thank you for joining us this week for holy shenanigans that surprise, encourage, redirect, and turn life upside down, all in the name of love. This is an unpredictable spiritual adventure that is always sacred, but never stuffy. Thanks to Ian Eastman for sound editing, special guest Reverend Lindsay Turner, and Fran Pratt for gifting us with their efforts in this week's Christmas Conversation. Gratitude to HSP listeners for supporting our work with this podcast by way of www.buymeacoffee.com backslash Tara L. Eastman. May your season of Christmas tide that has just begun be filled with gifts of bright stars that lead you to love and dreams for mercy and justice that come to pass in the new year yet to come. Merry Christmas, dear hearts. 